welcome to the fifth episode of Stories of Strangeness. Hello. I'm Zoe and this is Mike. Hello. And this week, Mike is presenting. So tell us, what are you presenting this week, Mike? I am doing remote viewing. Is that like when you look through a peephole? Kind of, but a psychic peephole. Ooh. (laughs) Hashtag psychic peephole. Indeed. Oh, blimey. What have I started? Right. Take it away, love. All right. Russell Targ is an interesting guy. He's a scientist, laser pioneer, and legally blind motorcyclist. Born in Chicago in 1934, he received a BS in physics in 1954 and went on to be an early pioneer of lasers, including authoring papers on frequency modulation and mode locking of lasers, as well as co-authoring a paper on the operation of a kilowatt continuous wave laser. In this regard, his contribution to the study of physics cannot be overstated. In one of many attempts to convince government scientists that what they considered impossible was absolutely possible, he demonstrated his one kilowatt laser, which was only a metre long. At the time, the lasers owned by the government were a hundred times larger and much less powerful. Russell's demonstration consisted of using the laser to melt a red-hot hole through a dense, non-flammable fire brick, which he then handed to the government's scientist and asked him if he wants fries with that. Introduced to the world of the paranormal at an early age by his father, who worked as an editor and owned a bookstore which contained works by renowned occultist Helena Blavatsky and Erich von Daniken, whose seminal work Chariots of the Gods was stocked in the store. He was also a childhood magician in New York, doing, amongst other types, mental magic. He found that occasionally he would get actual impressions from people whose mind he was pretending to read as part of his act. He was told by other magicians that many magicians supplement their routine with whatever bits of ESP came to them during the show. From 1972 to 1982, Targ worked at the Stanford Research Institute, a non-profit science research centre originally linked to Stanford University. It was during this period that Targ got involved with research centred around remote viewing. Remote viewing is the practice of seeking impressions about a distant or unseen target using subjective means, in particular, extrasensory perception, or ESP. Basically, a person is given a target, a building, a person, an object or an event, that is hidden from view and normally at some distance from the viewer. The term remote viewing was coined by Targ and Harold E. Putthoff, the latter of whom was the founder of the programme. The viewer is most usually given a set of coordinates and asked to draw, write or otherwise describe their impressions of what is at that site. In 1972, Putthoff and Targ tested a man named Ingo Swan at SRI. Those experiments led to a visit from two employees of the CIA's Directorate of Science and Technology, which resulted in a $50,000 CIA-sponsored program known as the Stargate Program. SRI ran some form of ESP slash remote viewing program with TARG for 23 years in conjunction with various US government agencies including the CIA, NASA and military defense intelligence agencies. Some of the projects they worked on for the CIA included finding a downed Russian plane in North Africa which carried code books, locating a kidnapped American general in northern Italy, looking into a Soviet weapons factory in Siberia, describing the construction of a huge Soviet submarine 
and even used remote viewing to spy on a Chinese atomic bomb test three days before it was due to go off and correctly determined that it would fail. Targ asserts that ESP is a natural ability that all people have to a lesser or greater degree, and that the ability works independently of physical distance and time. Targ tells us that using the ability to describe an object that's hidden in his pocket while you are in the same room has no difference in accuracy or reliability to describing something in Siberia over 6,000 miles away from SRI, and that this negation of distance was very interesting to him and his team as physicists. He references Buddhists who have law regarding quieting the mind and being able to describe distant events and objects thousands of years ago, and then Schrodinger who spoke about a non-local space-time and non-local connections in the 1920s, which was then proven in the 1970s. His research, far from being New Age, was mainstream at the time, written about in the main scientific journals of the world as well as the New York Times. Targ sought to prove that ESP ability could be trained and grown by the use of feedback mechanisms, and developed a test whereby four pictures were shown to the participant, and they had to determine which one would become illuminated. The results were positive, and the program was taken up by NASA. Targ now makes a similar test available as an iPhone app called ESP Trainer, where you get four placeholders and you have to determine which one has the image behind it. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. In the famous Patty Hearst kidnapping case in the US in 1974, Targ took Pat Price, former police commissioner of Burbank, California, and psychic, to assist local law enforcement. Pat correctly identified the ringleader of the kidnappers simply by looking at mugshots, which was proven correct two weeks later. When asked if there was anything more imminent he could help with, Pat told them exactly where the gang's car could be found, as well as the make, model, and colour. They found the car 20 minutes later due to his exacting information. Another experiment developed in part to procure CIA funding involved the psychic being in an electrically shielded room with Targ, and Hal, put off, would go to a randomly chosen location picked by the lab director, along with a contract monitor, lab director or military general. In one instance, Pat Price described them at a water purification centre about five miles south of the lab and drew out a plan of the place, including two tall water storage towers, a rectangular pool 65 feet by 80 feet and a round pool 100 feet in diameter. The target location was in fact a swimming pool complex called Rinconada Park. The round pool turned out to be 110 feet in diameter and the rectangular pool was 75 by 100 feet, a 90% accuracy rate of measurements. And of course, they were in the same places that Price had drawn on his plan. The only thing that Price had seemingly gotten wrong was the two water towers, which did not exist at the location. Except when, about 10 years ago, the city of Palo Alto sent Targ a picture book showing the city as it was 75 years ago. In those photos, the Rinconada swimming pool complex had actually been a water purification plant with, and you don't necessarily need to be psychic to determine the answer, two large water storage yeah. towers. Wow. Price also described a secret NSA code facility in Virginia in another experiment and could even read the folder titles, claiming the more you hide something, the brighter it shines in psychic space. Another experiment had Price describe a facility from coordinates given to them. 
where there was a huge crane with four wheels at each corner and a massive 60-foot steel sphere being welded together. The accuracy of the information led to a congressional hearing and investigation in case there had been a security leak, but eventually the program was allowed to continue as it was backed by the CIA and defence intelligence agencies. Targ even attempted a remote viewing himself during one experiment where Putoff was in Colombia and each day Price would describe Putoff's surroundings. On day 5, Price didn't show up so Targ, knowing how things were done from his observations, described an airport on an island with a runway that ended at the ocean and the main building on the left. Putoff was at San Andreas Airport, which matches the description and drawing Targ produced. Yet another experiment had Targ actually leaving the building for once. He didn't drive normally due to vision issues, although now he's a legally blind motorcyclist. He ended up in New Orleans and threw a die on the pavement to determine where he would go. The die roll led him to the New Orleans Superdome Stadium. Standing outside, he recorded his coordinates along with the date and time and added that it looks like a flying saucer shining in the sun. Back at the lab, Another physicist, Gary Langford, who was also a psychic, reported back that I have a clear picture of a circular building that looks like a UFO. Do you think Russell's been abducted? <laughs> Gary drew a picture which looked remarkably accurate. This was Gary's first remote viewing, although he had experienced other phenomena throughout his life. The army had even set up a psychic corps of six army officers alongside the team at SRI. The six chosen had never done any type of psychic experiments before. They each did six trials a week for 36 trials total. The statistical average by chance of what Targ terms first place matches, that is matches with a high level of verifiable accuracy produced on the first try, would be six. They got 19 first place matches. Pat Price would generally get seven of nine, and Targ says that if Putoff had been kidnapped nine times, Price would have found him seven times on his first try. Wow. Hella Hamid was a long-time friend of Targ and a professional photographer. She was brought in as a control subject, that is someone who supposedly has no psychic ability, used to gauge the abilities of a normal person in order to contrast how the others in the programme were doing. She ended up becoming the most proficient and reliable person in the programme <laughs> for the decade. Targ even made $120,000 by having a group psychically predict silver futures on the stock market by predicting if the silver market would go up a little, or a lot, or down a little, or a lot, and 9 out of the 9 predictions were correct, netting his company the cash. Russell believes in psychic ability and believes that he has proven that it works. He references the studies done on aspirin using the effect size which is a determination of how powerful the effects of your experiment were. The effect size on aspirin trials was 0.06 on standard deviations, and that effect size meant that the effect was so obvious that the trial was stopped as it had obviously been proven to work. Targ's effect sizes were generally 10 times the aspirin experiments in effect size. Targ states it is a natural, innate ability and that anyone can learn it and practice it to become better at it, like any skill. He says you don't need to pay thousands of dollars to learn, nor do you need to eat porridge at the foot of your guru. You just need to learn to quiet your mind, stop guessing and naming things, and believe that you are made of more than meat and potatoes, 
and you can move your awareness independent of space and time into a transcendent space. So what do you think? So you believe in it? I'm I'm probably like you are with ghosts. I'm on the cusp. I, I think there's a, there's a good chance. Now, I read on Russell Targ's Wikipedia page, there was quite a bit about people who have refuted his work and said that there were things that they did do and they shouldn't have done or that they didn't do and they should have done and things like that. Right. And they say that some people are so good at picking up on cues, perhaps even unconsciously, that they were picking up on cues from Russell or whoever was in the lab with so them. So you're sort of thinking like Sherlock, like the modern day, you know. Kind of, yeah. Kind of Sherlock. Kind of what they the... call cold reading. Yeah. So just picking up on visual cues from things going on in, in the room and things. Russell has written, and I've, I've put a link to it in the show notes, Russell has written a, a rebuttal to Wikipedia. Um, and if you watch the Third Eye Spies documentary... He states on there that he got banned from Wikipedia because wow. he kept putting in stuff about his work with lasers and they kept taking it out going, nobody's really interested in that. They just want to know about the spooky stuff. And he was like, well, that's rude. my work on lasers was pivotal and, you know. Yeah. How odd. And they kept taking it out. So he refutes a lot of the refutations on, on Wikipedia and says that they're really biased and their editors just they decide what they want. Yeah. So one thing that I did pick up on, I didn't realise before, because I've heard a bit about this before, yeah. um, is that it's the issue with time. Yeah. Like picking up on things before they happen. So it's yeah. not, it's, that's to me, that's not remote viewing. That's, that's telling the future. Yeah. Well, there's a, it, it's just the idea that, the, that human consciousness can exist separate of its physical body and also separate independently from space and time so here's a thought then what if ghosts are not ghosts of dead people they are people remote viewing yeah they're like astrally projecting or something from like, like that. but from the past or f- like from the future yeah. either way because they if you're to saying see what the future's like yeah that's that's an interesting idea because if you're saying that that guy saw was it the chinese bomb test yeah three days before it happened and it failed and he saw that well Could he not have been a ghost there yeah it's interesting because they did the remote viewing before the test was due yeah but it, it's not very clear on the documentary as to whether they looked into the future and saw the bomb failing or just looked at it at the time and went actually it That's doesn't look like work. it's going to work or whatever right. So I'm not sure mm. if that was like a prediction or not. But yeah, I mean... The but then the idea, thing with the water towers. Yeah. That was... He so saw the site 75 years earlier. And that's apparently completely possible. Yeah. And also the, the banking on the silver futures on the stock market. Yeah, that um, was... I think that was after SRI and, and Russell had formed another company to do more research. But yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting because in the documentary, they actually come to Cambridge. Do they? Uh, yeah, they come to Cambridge and speak to a, a physicist at Cambridge who is completely on board with this stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So these remote viewers have helped out on police cases. Yeah. What do they come under? What is their formal, you know, do they call them psychics? Honestly, I don't know. 
I don't know what the police call them. I would say they would probably call them citizen consultants or something like that. But you can find lots of police cases that have had psychics help help out on them. I always feel like they're laughed at a bit or kind of well, yeah. they're portrayed in this way of it's, it's like a a lady with a with a shawl and yeah, and absolutely. and being all kind of ooh and yes. crystal balls and all that yeah, kind of that, thing yeah, yeah absolutely and that's kind of one of the things that's dogged Russell Targ and Hal put off through both of their careers is this idea of the giggle factor yeah people can't take it seriously because they can't believe it's real but mm. he asserts it's all completely real and that it needs taking seriously because we could learn a lot by doing research on it. I'm totally going to download that app and, yeah. and train. I've already got it, yeah. Well, so I've got the, what was the one that I've got? We've got another app called RV Tournament. Yeah, and I'm doing pretty well on that. You're doing really well on that. You're doing, I, I keep forgetting to do it, but <laughs> well, other <yeah>. than that. <laughs> so, yeah, you actually have but to yeah. be in it to win it, love. Yeah, so RV Tournament, if you're interested in trying remote viewing, you can download an app and it gives you a set of coordinates and you have to concentrate on the coordinates and just draw on the screen any impressions that you get. Once you finish that, it shows you two images and you have to say which one you think you got the impressions from. And then the next day, it shows you whether you were right or not. Yeah, I feel like I've stared at the digits quite a lot. Yeah, there was Hella Hamid, who was a longtime friend of Russell Targ's, who you came just in ref- as- she came in as the control subject. Who was actually turned out who to be the best. turned out yeah. to be one of the yeah. best ones, yeah, in the whole programme. There was one thing where they gave her a set of coordinates and she began drawing her impressions of it. And it was, she said it's like a, a belly button shaped building with four lines coming off it. A belly button? Yeah. A, like, is she an innie or an outie? I don't know. I think it was, an, I think it must have been an outie. But she, she drew this thing and then she also sculpted it out of clay and mashed potato no no it wasn't her medium for some reason no she drew that and it was a a, i can't remember exactly where it was but it was a bevatron which is like a particle accelerator type thing where they had these four long tubes but the four long tubes are under the ground wow so she could see through the earth as well in theory yeah but russell says about that particular one her drawing matches the drawing the plan that they showed her afterwards so he thinks she cheated. She didn't actually remote view the site. She just remote viewed Directly the future, the... looked at the plan that oh. he showed her afterwards as the answer, and then drew that. Oh, wow. But even that is, like, <laughs> well impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the most impressive way of cheating. I mean, honestly, if you can cheat like that in exams by reading the paper from the future, I think they should just give you it, because why not? So if you are kind of down with this, on the cusp, as it were... yeah. How do you feel about tarot cards? Because um, surely then they're just a, a kind of a help. They're a tool, aren't they, really? Yeah. yeah. So they're a tool to help people focus their intentions. Now, I have this, this big theory that intention is the biggest driving force behind everything. If there is such a thing as psychic space, I think intention causes ripples in psychic space the way that planets cause ripples in space-time, in gravity. Just to put that one out there. (laughs) So you're getting a little bit technical now, love. My brain's kind of going... Yeah. Okay, because have you ever had your tarot cards read? Or like your your fortune read by anybody? Not professionally. I've had a couple of amateur readings and stuff like that, which have been interesting. 
but yeah, I think it, with tarot cards, the, the, the meanings are so vague, you can make them fit any narrative, really, a lot of the time. Well, yeah, but that's the whole point, isn't it? They're supposed to be not like a, this means definitely this. It's part of the person giving the reading uses that as a, a jumping off point, as like, yeah. a, not an inspiration, but like, right, that will relate to this. It's like the death card. It does not mean you're going to die. Yeah. It could mean that something's coming to an end, but it could also mean that something will begin. Because what is the difference between staring at eight digits for 15 minutes to try and think of an image to looking at at several pictures to then gain a slight sort of like bring in a story to pull a story in from the ether. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point, actually, because there's another book that I've been reading recently called The The Secret History of the World. Yes, Um, I remember digging that out. Yep. Part of that is talking about how people in ancient times, how their worldview differed to ours quite drastically. So somebody taking a a walk in the woods would see signs and portents everywhere. You know, if an owl landed on a tree branch, it was a god or a goddess watching over them, perhaps. Yeah. You know, a sudden breeze might mean something else. And everything was filled with intention. Everything had some kind of consciousness behind it. And the idea in the secret history of the world is that instead of the world being a materialistic thing, it's the world of thoughts and ideas that are the real thing and the world of matter kind of emanates from it. It's a mind before matter argument. So in the old days, people didn't think, oh, I've just had a really interesting thought. They thought of thoughts peopling rather than people thinking. I'm sorry, where? So yeah, so there's a, essentially like a, a, a kind of an etheric sea of ideas. So that they that would just come through? Yeah, and they are the conduit for that idea. Okay. And that idea might be, you know, spoken by a god or a spirit or whatever. A muse. And they just serve as the conduit for it. And it mentions things like artistic abilities and things. Sometimes people have periods where they're vastly prolific for a while and they everything they touch turns to gold kind of thing. Yeah. And then maybe just as suddenly it leaves them. And in the olden days, that would have been this spirit or... Right, animating idea coursing through your body and using you as a tool to achieve whatever its intention was. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a kind of completely topsy turvy way to how we think about the world now, but it's it's interesting to think about. That's partly to do with how much technology we have now and how we're not actually in tune with like the earth and life as we were. We don't sort of respect and worship life and the earth as we did yeah we don't kind of venerate things in the way that we used to but it's it's also kind of the the scientific mindset as well of reducing things to their kind of base essence and then okay well we know what that is now yeah we know what that's made we've lost the magic we're all jaded like i say russell targ is, is a professional physicist yeah and he says that the further and further down you go, you know, we, we found out things were made of molecules and then we found out molecules are made of atoms. Then we found out atoms are made of protons and neutrons and electrons. Then we found out those were made of gluons and mesons and all the rest of it. And he says, once you go kind of down and down and down, there is this unified field which seems to exist separately, independently of space and time. So it's like an almost... Um, Hang on, isn't that where Ant-Man went? Kind of, yeah. Well, he went subatomic, yes. He, uh, yes, he, yeah. Woo! Um, but it's more like 
if you've ever watched Star Trek Discovery, no, the newest series, they have a thing whereby they travel using mycelium networks, which is a, a kind of type of fungus. I know it sounds weird, but travel it's... Travel by mushroom. <laughs> it's kind of like quantum entanglement. Two particles can be entangled. And if you cause one particle to rotate in a particular way, the other one rotates in the same way, regardless of distance at the same time. So you could have two particles at either end of the universe and if you started spinning one in a particular direction, the other one would do it at the same time. But how does that work for travel? We don't really know. Because <laughs> it's, it's a kind fictional of, yeah, series. Yeah, it's a fictional series. Okay. But the Damn idea it. being that there is maybe some kind of subatomic unified field. Yeah. Where oh, you're everything baking my noodle stems now, love. from this oneness, you see. And the idea is that it's that unified field that you're accessing when you go into a particular kind of psychic state yeah which means that you can do things irrespective of state and time because everything is part of the same thing no, part, <laughs> no. Part, everything is one effectively yeah. see I, I find all of that it's so big that my brain just goes it's alice through the looking glass kind that of that kind of thing because that's the yeah. only way i can kind of accept it it's yeah it is a little bit it, it's basically once so you mad. get down to the subatomic stuff once you get into quantum mechanics and things like that, things get really weird. And we know that that's how things work at the subatomic level, but we can't figure out how to bridge the gap between what's happening there and what's happening the kind of classical physics level that we experience as everyday life and yeah. matter. Oh, mate. Yeah. Not quite as funny this time, but by God, I'm going to bake you new. <laughs> it's already done. It's like ready to come out. <laughs> like, ding! But yeah, it's interesting because there was a thing I was reading the other day that was saying that tomato plants apparently communicate via a fungus. So there's and like they, spores no, they of a fungus over the whole field and the, the tomato plants think, no, I told you that uh, vegetables can hear themselves being chewed. What? No, you didn't tell me that. That's yeah, horrid. I did. I did. I told you that because I said, oh, as vegans, we're now stuffed because even the food that we think. No, you have being... not told me this. So I have no. told well, you this. Okay. I, I wasn't listening. I wasn't yes. listening when That's you told a me this. thing, love. <laughs> I was subatomic or something. Yeah. So if tomato plants can communicate over this fungal network, screaming. Yeah. But that's the idea behind the kind of the silence of the tomatoes. <laughs> that's that. That's the idea behind the Star Trek thing is that this fungal mycelium network that they have yeah. is connected to every point in the universe. So you can just skip between points. Fungus. Yeah. And it takes you there. Because there's not mushroom. Oh, my word. Ooh, did you do that? Boom. Oh. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Podcaster down. <laughs> Oh, that man. was that was horrible. I'm sorry. They had a couple of other people that I didn't actually mention that did stuff for them as well. There was one guy who was known as Remote Viewer 001, uh, a guy named McMonagall, who was a, I think he was an army chief or general or something like that and got into doing psychic spying and stuff. And yeah, that was craziness that went on there. He was so good. It was unbelievable, almost. Uh, you know, yeah. Again, depending on where you sit with this kind of stuff. See, I didn't realise it was quite so widespread. I thought it was like, you know, the men who stared at goats and it was yeah. like, a, oh yeah, one off. And there was that one who like, you know, saw the facility and probably shouldn't have. And like, uh, Yeah. 
But well, that came about because Hal Putoff gave them some coordinates to a cabin he'd built in West Virginia. Right. And they scoped out the site, saw a small log cabin or whatever, and went, well, that's not very interesting. <laughs> Had a bit of a look around, found a completely classified NSA, National Security Agency site. Um, when was this? About a mile down the road. This was possibly 80s, 70s, 80s, something like that. Probably not, 80s, I think. Not, not the 60s then, because you know we were talking no. about the munitions site just north of Point Pleasant. Yeah. Because that closed down, like literally they shut up shop the day after Hiroshima. Wow. So they were making stuff for it the was, bomb, It was, yeah. Hence radioactive mutant giant moth moth people yeah so i'm just wondering because it's like west virginia if they saw his thingy and went oh we'll go there instead but if yeah i don't know basically yeah he found the filing cabinets in there and read the names of the drawers and then read the names of the file folders on them and they were all to do with pool like there were pool terms like rack em up and cue ball and things like that Sounds like James Bond to me. And apparently the NSA uh, (laughs) got heavily involved. Literally, there were NSA agents and and people, very high-ranking people at Stanford Research Institute the next day asking them a lot of questions. Men in black. (laughs) Because they were like, there's been a security leak. This is the only way that you could know this stuff. Because this wasn't just top secret. This was special access projects. So it was literally... The, there were a handful of people yeah. in the world that knew these things. And they were like, and a few more how now. the hell do you know? Yeah. But also, if you can do this, has Russia got people spying on our top secret folders? And is there even a point in trying to hide anything anymore if you can just wander in from halfway across the world and read it all? We want transparency. Might as well just put it out in the open. Safe. Well, apparently remote viewing makes everything transparent. Exactly. To a exactly. Just, you yeah. know, why bother trying to hide? We'll find out in the end. But the, the, the documentary is really worth a watch if you're even slightly interested in this stuff because they show all sorts of stuff like this and they show Ingo Swan, who showed Russell Targ and Hal Putoff how to do it. He showed them how to do remote viewing. And one of the things he did to prove that he could do it was they had... A SRI, a magnetically and electronically sealed magnetometer to test. Which for, is a, for. It, it tests for, I think they were me. testing for like nuclear explosions or background radiation or earthquakes. I can't remember, honestly. Is it like the remember. little thing they use in Ghostbusters with the little arms? No, this thing is a big room full of stuff. Okay. Yeah. But like completely hermetically sealed, magnetically sealed, electrically sealed. And he said, I can make that needle move from outside the room. <gasps> and he did. And that's when the CIA got involved because they were like, that's not possible. You can't literally, that's Unless sealed. he didn't make it move, but he knew that it would move for well, some I other guess, reason. Yeah, that's, that's, I suppose, a, a thing. Because like, um, someone pressed a button they shouldn't have. Or they also show some Russian people near the end of the, the documentary taking a seminar on how to do remote viewing. And there's one guy who draws what kind of looks like a pepperoni pizza. Yeah. And he's like, I thought it was maybe the moon. And I got this impression of this and that and the other. And his target turned out to be the the moon landing with Neil Armstrong. Huh? But there's like there's <laughs> links from this sort of stuff into astral projection and things like that, where, you, you know, people believe that you can separate your consciousness from your body and then go off and look at stuff. Well... 
just a little snippet. So my great grandmother was, I believe, 96 when she died. Right. She was in a home. Yeah. Um, she had her, her own room in the home. And in the weeks that led up to her death, obviously we didn't know she was going to die. Yeah. But she was telling my nan when she went in to visit, she would say, they lifted me up again last night. Yeah. And Nan didn't know what she meant. And she said, oh, last night they lifted the bed up and I got all the way up to, and she mentioned something that was on a picture. So she had a picture on the wall beside her bed. Yeah. And she said, oh, I got all the way up to and said something on there. And it was a good meter. Yeah. They weren't raising her bed. Her bed no. was a normal bedstead. Yeah. But... She felt like she was she, being moved. She, like, literally, she said it was almost like every other night she thought the bed was being lifted. They're preparing um, her for takeoff. Essentially, she was being prepared. And, and Nan was like, it's, it's a bit strange. They're lifting her up. Yeah. And like, and then like, and, went to look into it and they're like, Mm-mm. Well, no, I don't even think she did, but it was like we'd obviously visited oh, right. her and we're like, it's not a height-adjustable bed. Yeah. It's just a bed. So unless they've got like, you know, five guys around it. Like lifting it. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's, that's not happening. It's against a wall. And why? Why would just, they be doing that in the middle of the night? Just a random group of bodybuilders ran in, yeah, lifted the bed like, and then went, yeah, oh, that'll do for now. Yeah, but she wasn't saying anything like, oh, I'm having out-of-body experiences. No, no, she or, thought I'm, she was still in she, her body. She, she thought that her bed was being lifted up, yeah. but it wasn't. And it's, it's one of those weird little things that's just stuck with me. And I'm going to say, actually, when it comes to this kind of thing, I do believe in it. Yeah. Because I do believe that our brains have massive potentials yeah. to do all sorts of things yeah. that we can't comprehend. Yeah. Most complicated object in the universe that we know about is the human brain. So, you know, it's almost like the potential is limitless if we allow it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a TEDx talk which Russell was going to do and they cancelled on him. So in that, Russell speaks about the fact that there's a 1,200-year-old book that's from the Buddhists that basically say about quiet your mind, don't try and name things, don't try and label things, don't guess, and just see the amazing pictures that come to mind and kind of make notes about them, which is essentially like an early remote viewing manual as such. Yep. But in the meantime... If you've enjoyed today, you can listen to our back catalogue because I can say that now. We've got enough to say we've got a back catalogue. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. And we are also on Instagram. At stories of strangeness. And I think we're on Twitter as well. Yep, at so strange pod. Yeah, I don't really tweet. No, (laughs) I don't Um, don't tweet a huge amount either. But if people start getting involved, I will. We also have a website which is storiesofstrangeness.com. Yep. And we also have a Redbubble account because with each episode, we are creating our very own unique illustrations. So you can plaster them all over your body or, well, anything you own. Yeah. There's all sorts to choose from. Go check it out. That's Redbubble and you just need to search for Zoe and Mike. There'll be a link in the show notes. And if you have any strange stories of your own that you would like us to read out... Yeah. If you could email us, our email address is storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. Yes. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you because I do believe Mike told me that we've got quite a lot of listeners in 
Canada. Yeah, we've got some in Canada, yeah. So, you know. How are you doing, guys? Yes. Is it, girls. Is it warm or Canucks. cold over there? Uh, generally, know. it's a little colder, although. The one time I yeah. visited, there was no snow. Uh, and I've never been, but I'd love to go because they seem like really nice folk. They're lovely. Yeah. Give us a shout. Say hi. Yeah. Come find us. Find the group. Say hello. Is that it for today? I think that's it for today. Unless, um, no, that's it for today. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you could see me at the minute, I'm doing the Peter Venkman sign off. Yep. Got it. Did you get it? Yeah. That was pretty funny, actually. Yeah. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was good. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Love you. Bye.